welcome to this week's episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW, 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and this is the show where we talk about how everything in Montpelier shakes out for the rest of us. And for our regular listeners, this is Montpelier shaking out um, in real time because our regular contributor, Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three reps from the town of Brattleboro, is actually on the floor in the house right now uh, and hasn't been able to join us yet, but she may pop in at some point during the show. So without further ado, I want to welcome today's guest, Ted Brady, who's the executive director for the Vermont League of Cities and Towns. So glad you can join us, Ted. Hey, thanks, Olga. It's great to be with you again. It is, it is. And I always appreciate you coming in and uh, talking nitty gritty about what's facing municipalities. And on that note, just to quickly, for folks who may not be familiar with VLCT, what, what does it do as an organization? Yeah, well, we exist, and we've been around for more than 50 years we exist to uh, serve and strengthen municipalities, and that includes the 246 cities and towns, the several dozen other villages, but also municipal entities like solid waste management districts, uh, water, fire districts, things along those lines. And, and we provide them with expert guidance and resources, but we also provide them with services like insurance, uh, uh, unemployment uh, compensation and insurance, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your name often, when I would cover select board meetings, the name of VLCT would come up with, uh, when the boards would kind of get into a sticky issue, it would be either, well, we'll talk to the town attorney or we'll call the VLCT, <laughs> VLCT and, and see what their thoughts are on, on this issue. Um, That's right. We, we actually, we have a staff of four attorneys who handle municipal inquiries. And every year we get about 4,000 inquiries from select board members, town managers, clerks, asking you know, how do we deal with this sticky wicket? Well, that's interesting because I think that will feed into some of the things we're talking about today, which is Vermont Town Meeting, which happened on, for most places, happened on March 1st. Um, it For those who are listening in Brattleboro, of course, you have representative, uh, a- represent annual representative town meeting, say that three times fast, and that will be happening later in March. But for... Um, Vermont, it was, it was interesting to me, Ted, I am fascinated by town meeting and I'm fascinated by how many towns still folks meet on the floor and they hash issues out, um, and the different ways that towns approach their town meeting. Um, I love how in Whitingham, not so much with COVID, but you can get a lunch, uh, you know, that everyone meets at the school and gets lunch, um. And I, I always love that. You did, your organization did a preview of town meeting and kind of looked at um, some of the things that were on ballots and what towns would be reviewing this year. And a few things that um, stood out to me were um, the number of towns who, in part because of COVID, were not having um, in-person meetings. They were holding things by Australian ballot. Um, another thing that stood out was um, 30 towns had postponed their meeting until I think until they can have warmer weather and have something outside. Um, and there were two uh, village and town merger articles 
as well as a lot of towns considering uh, cannabis. And so for me, you know, town meeting is like Vermont in miniature. And when you were previewing this year's town meeting, how how are you seeing Vermont change or not? Or what are some of the themes? That, yeah. Well, that obviously, seeing? the biggest theme this year was the fact that 75% of Vermont municipalities uh, opted to have their town meeting by Australian ballot. Mm -hmm. In a typical year, 75% of Vermont municipalities have their town meeting, at least in part, uh, from the floor. Mm -hmm. And in part, I mean, there you have select board elections, clerk elections, and then you have your ballot items, your budget, you know, whether or not you want to discontinue trash service like they were talking about in Vernon or change trash service, mm -hmm. or the advisory items like Guilford talking about compassionate communities, uh, or Marlborough, Demerston, and Putney talking about fair and impartial policing standards and immigration issues. Uh, some towns in a normal year will vote for all of that from the floor or will vote for either the officers from the floor or their ballot items from the floor, but maybe also use the Australian ballot for part of it. So the big takeaway this year is a reflection of the pandemic. And you know, next year we're probably gonna see a return to more normalcy. Uh, and we'll have to see a return to more normalcy because this was a special exception in the law to allow towns to change the way they do town meeting, including in Brattleboro, allowing their representative town meeting to occur uh, fully virtual if they chose to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, the only town meeting in the state that would be able to do that, which is interesting because of the way you folks do it in Brattleboro. Uh, but if anybody, Brattleboro. Right, if anybody wants to continue doing uh, an Australian ballot meeting, that didn't do it before the pandemic, they're going to have to have a floor vote to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's kind of a big, interesting thing, I think, from, from this year's town meeting. But you asked a great question and made a great statement. You know, town meeting day is a day when you can really look at what Vermonters are voting on, and it usually reflects the mood of Vermont. And so we did an analysis of more than 200 warnings across the state for town meeting day, and, it, and looked at 3,200 ballot items, 3,200 articles. It's interesting. You know, you go from uh, three or four ballot items in some communities to up to 48 in one community, 48 different things that a community member has to vote on. Uh, and what we noticed was, you know, people are talking about cannabis. Uh, people are talking about changing the way their government operates because of the complexities that are approaching. Uh, people are talking about climate change and, and uh, you know, taking climate actions. And people are talking about, uh, you know, big ticket community items, whether it be water and wastewater systems or down in southwestern Vermont, a municipal, a, a, a field house that was going to be in Manchester, which fortunately didn't fare so well on town meeting day. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's a great thermometer, barometer, whatever you want to say, to kind of understanding uh, the weather and the political mood in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ted. I, I want to go back to, if you don't mind, the, the question about, um, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to step back bigger picture too, because I, I think you pointed on something that uh, many of us who grew up around town meeting kind of take for granted. And we forget there's, there's a lot of tradition built into town meeting, but I think we forget that it's also codified in state legislature. Um, 
So just remind us, uh, what are some of the the parameters set out for town meeting in state law? Yeah, sure. So the big one is towns have to have annual meetings where they decide, uh, you know, everything from budgets to officers. And if they don't do it, well, things expire and you can't keep going. Everything a municipality does in the state of Vermont, every power they have is derived from the state. Mm-hmm. So state statute dictates how our communities and municipalities are organized, how they should vote, what laws they can put in place, what ordinances they can put in place, how they need to conduct business. And so, uh, you know, every spring we have this town meeting tradition, not because we feel like it, but because that's how Vermont uh, statute says it shall be. And when the state says it shall be that way, it shall be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's the, the big nugget. And the next big nugget is this, statute actually gives a lot of deference to communities and how they want to have their town meeting. Mm-hmm. The state doesn't dictate that you need to do it from the floor or that you can do it from Australian ballot. The state does say you can't willy-nilly change it. You're citizens. You have to, the elected, the, sorry, the, the voters from your community need to decide how they're going to do this by, at town meeting, deciding we're going to do it by absentee ballot. We're going to do it, sorry, by Australian ballot. We're going to do it by floor vote some combination of the, the two. This year was different because we had uh, special emergency powers uh, courtesy of the legislature and the government. Mm-hmm. Um, just for our listeners, when Ted was talking about how the power of the towns descends basically downwards from the state, uh, I believe you were kind of referencing what we tend to call Dylan's rule. Um, and Ted came on the show last summer, I think, and and talked about Dylan's rule. So I'll try to hunt that up and put that in the show notes. So if folks want to hear that conversation, they can, (laughs) they can tune in, because that can be a hot, that can be a hot topic among some municipalities about Dylan's rule. It Um, sure is. It's always, you know, a fight about who has control. And, you know, you can go back to the Federalist Papers, states and the federal government were fighting about it 250 years ago municipalities were fighting about it 250 years ago. And here we are, we're still fighting. And ever since the first village was formed in Vermont to uh, provide some service to some subset of town people, we've also had fights about whether or not you should be merged or not merged. I mean, I think that we've we've been merging and unmerging for 150 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So many layers to that one. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to unpack that one today. Um, but speaking of mergers, um, the two village and town merger articles, I, I wasn't able to see what happened with those. Were you able to? Yeah. So both uh, Linden and Lindenville had uh, a town merger ballot item. I should say Linden had it. You may know may not know this. Villages tend to have their uh, annual meetings later in the spring. And so we weren't able to evaluate what's on their ballot items because they haven't needed to warn their meetings yet. Mm-hmm. But the town of Linden had an item to determine whether or not its residents wanted to consider merging with uh, the village of Linden. That passed. Uh, the town of Pulteney had a, a ballot item about uh, looking at merging with the village of Pulteney. Uh, and that passed also. Again, both of these were advised. I don't know if you call them advisory. I can't recall, but but they weren't going to do anything immediately. They were trying to get a sense of the uh, public's interest in proceeding. And now those two communities will likely do a little legwork and 
if it's anything like the rest of the merger story in Vermont, uh, this story will not be completed for many years. Mm-hmm. It's it's will never cease to fascinate me how towns in Vermont have such deep, strong identities um, and, and really draw a lot of kind of sense of place from, from those identities. Yeah. And interesting, right? The sense of place and sense of identity was really created around uh, a time when, uh, you know, you couldn't get across most towns uh, in a single day unless you had a real fast horse. Uh, And so it's funny how it all goes back to, uh, you know, colonial America and uh, defining these very artificial lines that today uh, we all hold extremely dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we do. We do. We do. Um, As someone who has been watching uh, towns in Vermont for a very long time, because before at, you were at VLCT, you were the head of um, ACCD with the state, which is... Yeah, I was the deputy secretary for the Agency of Commerce and Thank Community you. Development, yeah, which provides grants and technical assistance to communities and businesses to help them grow and mm-hmm. uh, do great things. Were there anything, you know, given your your long view of of the state, was there anything this year that surprised you or that you didn't expect? Yeah, I think there absolutely like the, the most interesting thing that happened this town meeting day, aside from how people voted was what they voted on. Mm-hmm. And when you realize more than 40 communities were voting on whether or not to allow the retail sale of cannabis uh, on town meeting day, and that more than 80% of those communities passed that ballot item I think that's surprising. Uh, not surprising in the number that passed it, but surprising in the number of communities that were taking it on. As you, you may know, uh, cannabis will be able to be sold at retail this October. Mm-hmm. And so it's the right time for it to occur. Um, and communities obviously want to have a say in it. And we're lucky that the legislature uh, allowed communities to have this opt-in policy. But that's a lot of communities. And, and that but more than doubles on town meeting day, the number of communities that will allow recreational cannabis to be sold in their community at retail doubled. That's a big deal. Um, And it means, you know, a great thing if you're an advocate for uh, cannabis and, uh, you know, a big victory there, but it also is a really complicated policy issue for all these communities. Now what? What does it mean? What? How does your town regulate cannabis? It really doesn't, but they do have zoning laws about where you can place your cannabis, you know, a retail operation. Uh, there are questions about what about manufacturing and uh, distribution, you know, where, where is that going to occur in your town? All regulated by zoning laws, not by the Cannabis Control Board. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a big takeaway from town meeting day. The, the landscape has changed when it comes to uh, retail cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like um, I've said this before around the the cannabis conversation. On on one hand, it feels like we've been talking about this for a very long time. And in some ways, it feels like things are really speeding up Yeah, around cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. It's both uh, incredibly slow and incredibly fast. (laughs) The, The other really interesting thing to me 
is I wasn't sure what would happen this year when it comes to budgets hmm. and bond issuances because, you know, it, a lot of Vermonters have struggled for the last two years. Uh, they've lost their job. Their business has been, you know, small business owners have not been sure where we're going. And we saw a lot of budget increases. Um, you know, my small town of Williston, uh, you know, had a nearly 20% budget increase and the budget passed by, you know, 20%. Mm, and wow. many communities across Vermont had budget increases either because it's reflecting an additional influx of federal money or because inflation, the inflationary pressures, it's costing more to hire police officers. It's costing more to hire uh, road workers. So budgets are naturally going up one or two, three, 4%. And yet I have yet to find a budget, a municipal budget that failed this year. That's a really good point. And in addition to that, of the major, we, we were tracking nearly $150 million of bond issuances for things like water, wastewater, streetscape improvements. Uh, 90% of them that we were tracking passed. Uh, uh, you know, very few failed, even down in Guilford, you know, the library expansion passed. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look up in Windsor, uh, some uh, road work and water improvements uh, passed. It, across the board, voters were in an authorizing mood, <laughs> in an improving mood. Uh, and don't get me wrong, some of these votes were close, but, uh, you know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. In <laughs> municipal elections, if you win by one, you accomplished your victory. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You just got to get a, one step over that finish line. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Fascinating. That's a really good point. Um, and and what I'm kind of sitting with is I'm trying to think through Wyndham County and I'm I'm drawing a blank at the moment. But there has been in prior to COVID a number of towns that would not pass their budget and would have to go back again and again. Um, and you're right. I can't think of any this year that, that didn't pass. Yeah. And I hope anybody listening, if your town didn't pass your budget, send me a note. We haven't yeah. done a poll. I've been reading the news like you and reading the returns, but in general, it was a good year for municipal budgets. And that was a surprise given the uncertainty of people's pocketbooks mm -hmm. and wallets. Do you think a lot of that is, is down to confidence around the, the federal stimulus and, and other support funds? Yeah, I think clearly Vermonters feel like, uh, like the towns have made difficult choices to get us through this and they're not penalizing them for having to, you know, revert those difficult choices now as we come out and they're, you know, no longer in an austerity mode, which they were for two years. Eventually you have to bounce out of that austerity mode or your town's going to die. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think voters weren't holding people, weren't holding their select boards uh, to, to those difficult decisions they had to make in previous years. But I think it goes to an enhanced sense of trust right now that Vermont voters have in government. Uh, there was one voter up in Milton who uh, I was reading Vermont Digger uh, and the, the, vo the voter was asked by the Vermont Community News Service um, if they were supporting the budget. And they said, you know, I wasn't in the room when they made the budget, but I know my select board made difficult decisions and I trust that they made, uh, that they made decisions in the best interest of the voters. That's a really powerful statement. Mm -hmm. uh, and that Milton's not a, a real progressive community. It's kind of a middle of the road political when it comes to political ideology community. 
And I think that really reflects it well. Vermonters trust their government right now. Mm-hmm. I, and, and perhaps it's because the government served them well through the pandemic. They've provided the resources they need. They put on food, uh, you know, meal programs. Uh, we had a really good showing at the most scariest part of COVID when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, transmission rates. Uh, you know, we put Vermonters first when it comes to protecting their safety. So maybe that's part of it too. I don't know. Again, sometimes you don't know why you're surprised or what mm-hmm. the reason for it is. Well, that's the thing I think that's really fascinating about voting in general, whether it's for a public official or for a ballot question. Um, we ultimately only know the result. We don't necessarily know why an individual voter made the choice they they made. Um, and I, I think that speaks to how tricky it can be then to develop the policy out of those choices. Um, because two people can vote for the same thing, but have different intentions behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make local democracy that much more complicated. Yes, I know. And uh, there isn't much exit polling being done at local elections to give you a sense of what was in the voters' head. Mm-hmm. We have just a, a few minutes before we need to hear from some of our underwriters. I'm curious, Ted, were there any uh, votes or ballot questions or results, um, either on an individual town level or statewide, that you're watching right now kind of thinking, mm, I'm not sure about that direction or I have some concerns about that? You know, the league is not a place that is designed to second guess what municipalities decide. But I can tell you that there's some that I find interesting. And one of them is local option taxes. And so, as you may know, uh, about 20 communities across the state currently uh, put a local option tax, whether it be a sales tax or um, a rooms and meals tax, an alcohol tax. And there were five communities uh, across Vermont, from Fairhaven to Montgomery, uh, to South Hero, to Berry City, that were considering local option taxes. Three of them approved it, two of them didn't. Uh, and that's an interesting trend to me uh, because local option taxes are a great way to offer uh, some tax uh, relief to your residents, but, um, but those, because they generally impact visitors uh, more than they impact you, especially in like rooms and meals. Mm-hmm. But But so as we look going forward, the education tax is eating a larger and larger portion of municipalities lunch, right? There's only so much you can tax people and look at your tax bill. 80% of your property tax bill is the education property tax. Mm -hmm. Less than 20% is your municipal property tax. And no voter is going to let you increase the pie by a significant enough part to, to fund government uh, activities as the education fund tax continues to eat away at that municipal power. And so local option taxes are a gro- great way to, to find some additional dollars so that you don't need to go to the property tax. Um, there's an argument in the legislature right now about whether towns should have the ability to implement local option taxes. Mm-hmm. There is a proposal from the chair of the a House Ways and Means Committee uh, to do away with the local option tax and to do a statewide local tax 
that would uh, make it so if you're a community that currently has a local option tax, some of your local option tax dollars would likely go to neighboring communities that don't have local option tax. So it's really a, just a statewide property tax. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and so that, that's, sorry to filibuster you here, Olga, but that's no. one that I found interesting and that I'm following. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. I wasn't aware of the, um, what you just mentioned, the the statewide local option tax. I do think Emily and I um, were hoping to do a future episode talking about changing the education, the way the education tax operates from a property tax to more of a income-based tax. Um, so stay tuned for that listeners. We'll see. Yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, Emily is uniquely qualified to talk about those things sitting in that yeah. as the vice chair of the house uh, ways and means committee. And, mm-hmm. and she probably has a great perspective on, you know, what, what the goal would be of changing the way local option taxes are can be assessed and, and why what's good for 20 some odd towns is not necessarily good for the other uh, uh, 100 and, or 240 or so. I was watching you do the math. I was like, I'm yeah. not going to do the math. I'm always not sure if I should include the villages in or not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Depends how they tax things, right? Um, <laughs> before we leave uh, for break, though, I do want to uh touch on that it's i think it's an interesting tension between that municipal budget and the school budget um not good or bad but i just thinking about the debates i've heard in town meeting about the town budget and the school budget um they're to me they're built very differently and yet i think so often voters struggle with kind of how to tease them apart and where they have control and where they don't and you know what what funding has to happen because it's mandated and what funding is uh discretionary and and all those those things and it just makes me think um perhaps one service we all need to do for voters is to just get a little better at talking about how those op- those budgets operate um and and what pressures are on them Boy, and uh, voters have a very different, they come to those two budgets differently when they're in the, when they're voting. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting at my town meeting years ago and listening to a fight about the school budget about whether or not to include $25,000 for training for teachers Mm -hmm. and whether or not that was necessary and appropriate. Meanwhile, my town budget had $100,000 in training for firefighters and nobody questioned it. Huh. And, uh, you know, I, I to, to give a tip of the cap to schools and the fight they're up against, their budget, I think, generally receives uh, extra scrutiny each year. And municipal budgets, as this year maybe shows, uh, maybe don't receive that scrutiny because of the level of trust and uh, the respect that people have for how uh, how incredibly frugal so many governments are. Maybe. I don't know. I shouldn't speculate. <laughs> But it is fascinating. So thank you, Ted. Hey, everyone. The Montpelier Happy Hour will return in a moment on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back. 
back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts as well as BCTV. We want to thank BCTV for all the help they they do and the editing they do um, to put us out on the statewide uh, public education channels. Uh, so you can sometimes catch us outside of Brattleboro too. So thank you to BCTV. Um, as always, I will I will be doing this part because our co-host uh, Emily Kornheiser is on the floor in Montpelier right now. So I will be the one to remind everyone that the views and opinions expressed on this show are the views and opinions and thoughts and feelings and filibustering even <laughs> of the hosts and the guests and not the platforms that anything's airing on, not the radio station, not BCTV, not the podcast, not anyone but us. So there you go. Ted Brady, Executive Director for the Vermont League of Cities and Towns, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Olga. <laughs> so for those of us who might just be tuning in, Ted and I are talking about annual town meeting, uh, because in most communities, with the exception of Brattleboro and towns that have postponed their town meeting because of COVID issues, everybody turned out on March 1st to vote on many um, issues, in, including Brattleboro, I should say, they elected their town officials and school board members, I should remind, I should say that. So Ted, I want to go back to what we were talking about before the break, about the number of towns, about 75% of them, that had held their town meeting this year, rather than in person, had held it via Australian ballot. And what strikes me interesting about that is, on the one hand, Australian ballot can be a lot easier for voters. Um, they don't need to take many hours out of their day to go to an in-person meeting. Uh, they can vote early or absentee, as it's sometimes called. But on the other hand, whatever's on the ballot is what you're voting on. You can't really debate it. You can't necessarily amend it. Um, you can't ask questions necessarily of the select board around town meeting. And so it's, it's an interesting um, tension, I think. Do you see that um, from your perspective? Absolutely. And I think every town feels it. Mm -hmm. I think every town questions and every select board member and every even even people that love town meeting question, is there a better way to do this? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a, a way to address exactly that tension, which is I wrote an op ed right before town meeting day and I ended it by saying no matter how you're voting, no matter what you're voting on, you really only have two choices, yes or no. And uh, that's, you know, not totally accurate, because if you do have a floor vote, uh, you can amend things, you can change what you're voting on. You can't do that when you have an Australian ballot. So that tension very much exists. And I think we are nowhere near solving it as a state. I don't think we are anywhere near um, a, a universal uh, Australian ballot and absentee ballot thing for town meeting day. The governor called for it, you know, leading up to this town meeting and mm -hmm. the legislature didn't uh, go for it. The secretary of state 
was against the idea. Uh, so I don't think we're, we're approaching that point. But there is a tension. Do you want the most number of people showing up to vote? Or do you want the most the, 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 the highest ability to impact what you're voting on? Um, right now, there's not a way to do both. I, I will say, I think there is a model out there to enable communities to talk about issues and then vote on them at the Australian ballot using the Australian ballot. You know, many towns that have Australian ballot have a informational session before, a week ahead of time, a few days ahead of time, the night before. Uh, and so the community members can come together and talk. But in that circumstance, they can't change the ballot. It's too late. That's right. I wonder if, um, I mean, I suppose an argument could be made that sometimes the most ability, the greatest ability to change a ballot item is actually months before it gets voted on. For example, when the budget, the select board is actually building the, the next fiscal budget. And so maybe the argument, too, is that we need to be involved earlier in the process. Uh, of course, that takes more time when everyone's trying to hold down jobs and remote school. And absolutely, I, I have yet to be to a select go to a select board meeting uh, where the budget is the topic or setting the warning is the topic where it's standing room only. You know, mm -hmm. those th that just doesn't happen. And so um, you're right. That's that's when Vermonters who are vote who, who are going to be in communities that use Australian ballot, you can show up and impact what that ballot looks like at a select board meeting. Mm -hmm. But that's different, right? You don't vote. The select board are the only ones in that room that can vote uh, on the, the warning. So I don't, I want to be clear. I'm agnostic on this topic. I don't think there's a, a right way. I think you get different results based on how you vote though. Mm -hmm. It's clear that with the Australian ballot, participation seems to be a bit higher. And, uh, and that's, that's important. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, with the floor vote, participation seems to be deeper. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, it's hard to say. And, and it's not universal when it comes to voter turnout. Uh, the town clerk up in Killington, Lucretia Wanser, who's on our board of directors of the league, uh, said that their turnout last year went down. Mm -hmm. hmm. um, and let's start with talking about town meeting turnout in general. Last year, we had a great turnout, and about 25% of eligible voters voted in their municipal elections. Uh, the single greatest chance you have to influence how much in taxes you pay, the most direct way you have to influence how much tax you pay, and how your town will be run in less than a quarter, or about a quarter of the, the people that could vote show up and vote. That's, that's not very, uh, you know, that's not a sign of the strongest democracy in the world. And we are the strongest democracy in the world. So uh, I'd like to see that participation climb one way or the other. That, that's an interesting statement because um, uh, while I love Vermont's democracy, there's still a lot that it could improve upon. Um, I think there's still a lot of people who don't feel that they have access to uh, Vermont's government and Vermont's democracy um, and that they don't have a seat at the table. And um, I think there's a lot of ways we could improve 
um, inclusion and access for for a number of of folks. And and at the same time, if if we are one of the strongest democracies in general, what does that say for for other places? I think it clearly says we're better than the rest. But boy, we're imperfect. Vermont exceptionalism exists, right? It's a true and real thing. But it doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we're better than the rest. Or or we like to say we are too sometimes. There's that as well. (laughs) Going going back to that issue of of access, um, what... We're at an interesting point with COVID because we've gone, we've been in it long enough that it's not necessarily new anymore, but it is still really shaping the way we do things. We're not quite to the new normal yet. Um, Is there anything once COVID is over and we're kind of trying to find that new normal, quote unquote, is there anything you, you really hope when it comes to municipal government and our local democracy that we do, that we keep maybe lessons learned from COVID. And are there anything you're like, Oh no, 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 stay away from that. Um, well, I, I'll tell you the biggest one is and, and the league is advocating for this. Uh, we should select boards and other public bodies should be able to meet fully remotely mm-hmm. going forward. And, and that's one that the legislature, the secretary of state, they're not there. Right. They're they don't necessarily think that way yet because they're worried that it would disenfranchise people who don't have access to telecom. Uh, And, uh, you know, most Vermonters have access to a phone. Uh, Many have access to broadband, not all. Uh, But what we've found is uh, people are showing up to town to select board meetings and to planning commission meetings and other public meetings that they wouldn't have shown up for before because you can't get childcare because you don't want to go drive down the icy road uh, or because it's negative 20 degrees that night. You don't want to leave the house. Um, Yes. And and so participation's increased. Again, anecdotally, we haven't been keeping numbers. Mm -hmm. Participation's increased. So we'd like to see that uh, continue. There were, I think, two or three communities across the state that actually had on their ballot a question of whether or not their townspeople wanted their governing bodies to continue offering hybrid meetings because Mm -hmm. the law allows you to do a hybrid meeting now, but it's complicated. It takes an investment in technology. Yeah. Uh, And I know one of them voted yes. I don't know how the other voted. So um, yeah, that's the big, that's an important one. Anything that increases uh, participation. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ted. Um, I believe in your preview you talked about how um, a number of towns were looking. Um, yeah, there were forty-six articles on changing town operations. Let's let's talk about that a little bit, and for a couple of reasons, I have been fascinated for a while on what I'm seeing is again going back to that tension between. I think as a state, we have this tradition of volunteerism. And yet people's lives are more complicated now that volunteering is not necessarily feasible um, or affordable. And in some cases, town government has become complicated enough that to have an all volunteer uh, 
town uh, might be harder for for towns to get business done. So talk us through what it what were some of the articles when you say change town operations. Let's talk about that because I'm curious about what these votes might mean in the big picture for how Vermonters get their municipal jobs done. Sure. Well, you look, like you said, we, we tracked about 46 of these articles that changed the way town government would be run. There, there were at least four that were talking about changing clerks from elected to uh, appointed positions. There were 13 communities that were changing their treasurers from elected to appointed positions. There were eight communities that proposed to eliminate the lister position uh, or to change the way listers worked. Four that were considering eliminating the auditor uh, position. Uh, in some communities like Putney, I believe, they were talking about going from a three-person select board to a five-person select mm-hmm, board. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know the exact local reasons why you do that, but to me, it would suggest that, well, there's too much work for three people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then you look at, uh, you know, the old days of constables, there, there were three or four communities that were trying to do away with constables because the idea of electing a constable, a law enforcement officer, in today's policing environment is scary, right? Mm-hmm. That you need to have the right person. So all of these positions can be done by volunteers and can be done by volunteers perfectly, right? You can, uh, a volunteer or somebody who's elected, you can elect a great clerk, a great treasurer, a great auditor, a great uh, lister. Uh, the problem is there are less people willing to step forward and work for really pennies to do a really complicated job. Mm-hmm. You know, being a clerk running a municipal election, uh, being a treasurer running a municipal finance, you know, that is a complicated thing. And so we're, in 2017, the legislature changed it that uh, towns would be able to bring this to their voters to vote on. And since then, dozens have done so. Um, running municipal government isn't what it used to be. It's more complicated. Uh, you know, understanding government chart of accounts, understanding how to apply for a grant and manage a grant from the state or from the feds is really complicated. Following election laws can be difficult. You know, again, it does, I think we have some of the greatest clerks and treasurers in the world, and uh, we don't need to change the way we appoint them or elect them to to be because of that. But in towns that are having a hard time finding people to step forward to run for these offices, just like volunteer firefighters, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes you have to change the way you recruit for these positions. Mm-hmm. And um, what are you hearing from municipalities about how complicated it is for them <laughs> to do what they yeah. need to do? <laughs> It's, you know, one of the, we, we did a member survey a couple of months back in the fall of 2021. And it was a theme, you know, in all of the comments uh, that we received, it's a common theme that says things have gotten so complicated. Like, how am I supposed to, how, is, how am I as a clerk? Maybe I'm the only full-time or paid staffer in a town, right? You get your select board, a clerk, maybe you have a road foreman, mm-hmm. uh, the clerk treasurer, how am I supposed to know about cybersecurity, you know, patches and rules and be my town's IT manager? All of those things, 
that that's it, everything's gotten more complicated and um, takes takes more uh, attention. One town up in Brighton uh, was considering going to a town manager form of government. So uh, that's actually a change in you know how your government's organized. You delegate a lot of powers. It's it's in statute once again derived from the powers of the state. A town manager's form of government. They currently have a town administrator form of government, mm-hmm. and going to town manager would give the manager even more authority and take some of the responsibilities off of the select board uh, up there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Something you just said, and I had a mm-hmm. thought, and I think it flew away. Unfortunately, <laughs> so maybe it will come back. We'll see. Like a lazy Susan, it will just loop around again. <laughs> What are you seeing going forward for municipalities as we as we finish up this town meeting and we're going into the new fiscal year, which starts in um, July 1st? What are you hearing from from your members? ARPA, 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 (laughs) the American Rescue Plan Act, which as of today, which I don't know when you're uh, when people will be listening to this, but as of March 11th tomorrow actually uh the american rescue plan act is one year old and that act gave uh for the first time since the early 80s uh every municipality in the country a share of federal revenue you know the old revenue sharing model Mm -hmm. uh 200 million dollars of of relief funding came to vermont municipalities that you know uh about if i remember the formula about 300 dollars per resident um, and uh, the communities are trying to decide how to spend that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, five communities at this town meeting day had ballot items about how to spend that money. Uh, many have been debating it at select board meetings. Many will debate it in the future. Uh, this is a big opportunity to use this money to invest in the future of their community. Uh, the other thing that municipalities are going to be facing is the bipartisan infrastructure package, right? Mm-hmm. The, the bill as they call it, the, the BIL. This is the single largest infrastructure investment in our country's history. And our municipalities are going to receive a share of this. Uh, and that means mm-hmm. new water and waste systems, new roads, uh, new public facilities. That Those are big decisions that our select boards are going to be uh, figuring out that our staff, going back to our, you know, who's the capacity question, our staff are going to have to write grants. Select board members are going to have to write grants uh, to get this money. So I think that's what the year ahead is a great opportunity, but a lot of work. Mm-hmm. How can, um, any thoughts on how citizens can help their towns, their town Show government up. make these decisions? Yeah, they're, they're just showing up. You need to, you need to follow the select board. You need to show up at the meetings to give input, write emails to your select board members civil emails, of course, kind (laughs) emails that share your perspective on what should be done with some of this money or the projects that need to be done in your community, the things that would be wise investments in your community. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Quickly, what we're, you know, the legislature is meeting right now. What bills or, or initiatives are you watching? Um, Yeah, there's several. Uh, There are several that give us great hope. Uh, there is one uh, that just advanced out of the Senate Government Operations Committee uh, related to giving municipalities more authority. And mm-hmm. so after years of debating 
whether or not we're a Dillon's rural state or should be a Dillon's rural state, let's accept that we are. And we're saying to the legislature, if that's the case, let's devolve some authority to our communities. So for instance, when you want to recall a, uh, an elected official, um, how do you do that? Well, let's allow the towns to do that. Let's allow them to have a vote or um, without having to go to the state or uh, you know, setting speed limits in your downtown. You know, that's something that uh, historically has been, uh, you know, only the purview of the state. Well, let, let's set up a process by which a community could could do that. So that's one big, you know, good hopeful thing that just advanced out of the Senate Government Operations Committee. There's also resources coming to the uh, communities across the state. You know, there's a half billion dollars of ARPA money that the state got that they're deciding how to spend and we're trying to influence to provide housing a housing package that's moving to provide more housing, to provide resources, to change the rules, to allow for more housing in our communities while still giving deference to uh, towns. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really hopeful uh, to provide more water and wastewater money, things along those lines. Uh, th that's great news. And there's also this bill called H518, which uh, would create a municipal fuel switching program, which would allow towns to apply for grants to you know, weatherize and reduce the fossil fuel consumption in their buildings. It's another mm -hmm. wonderful thing. On the flip side, there's some stuff we're worried about. Uh, there's a move to um, eliminate qualified immunity for law enforcement officers. Uh, and that's something that uh, you know would really impact our policing, we believe. And we think it's not fair to call it police reform uh, because uh, what it really does is uh, simply create you know, a greater opportunity for lawsuits and frivolous lawsuits. Uh, the league did an analysis. So, so a quick one-on-one yeah. on qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is the concept that if a police officer or any other uh, public official uh, who is not elected, so kind of your, your mid-level public officials, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and lower level public officials, that if they're acting in good faith, doing their job, and they make a decision that is not breaking the law, that they cannot be held, you know, responsible for, uh, you know, a, a negative outcome that was done in good faith. Mm -hmm. um, every uh, lawmakers have this, or this, you know, have this uh, qualified immunity. Town officials have qualified immunities uh, and uh, police officers have qualified immunity. There's a bill currently being considered to remove that qualified immunity in hopes that it would make police more accountable. Mm -hmm. Well, we did an analysis at VLCT that found for the last uh, five years, the Vermont League of Cities and Towns has paid out $1.7 million in settlements and judgments related to law enforcement claims. So the argument that is being made in Montpelier is that uh, people who are wronged by the police don't have access to financial uh, um, restitution. Uh, well, they do. In five years alone, in Little Old Vermont, we've paid $1.7 million to plaintiffs in law enforcement claims. So that argument that, that doesn't kind of hold water. The next uh, issue is that municipalities and Vermonters are going to pay for this in frivolous lawsuit claims, right? You're going to, people are going to settle more claims because it's expensive to litigate claims, even when uh, the plaintiff is wrong. And we think that money could be used better to undertake law, real law enforcement reforms, providing more training, anti uh, 
bias training, providing more mental health training, putting more mental health resources in the field, right? You see towns on town meeting day up in St. Albans City, uh, they voted $100,000 to put a mental health professional in their police department to help respond to calls. You know, those things are going to be missed opportunities. We're not going to be able to afford to do that if we're paying uh, lawyer contingency fees uh, for people that are uh, trolling for an opportunity to sue police officers because somebody's upset that they were stopped by a police officer. Um, and so we're on a great police reform effort in this state, and we just don't think qualified immunity belongs uh, in that toolkit that we're trying to do police reform on. We acknowledge we need police reform, though. Mm-hmm. Um, just to to loop back to that quickly, you talked about some other things that that could be done uh, with with police reform. To that question, for for folks who, who may feel that um, they have been wronged by a police officer, um, are there other ways for them after the act to get restitution besides qualified immunity? Well, besides the most doing important, away with qualified yeah, immunity. the most important thing, right, is to report the incident. And mm-hmm. for years, I think people have been nervous that police are going to investigate things. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, we passed Act 56, which mm-hmm. codifies that you, uh, that you need to have an internal affairs uh, program and you need to do an investigation and that that investigation needs to then be uh, reported and given over to the Vermont Criminal Justice Training Council. Um, and then they do some due diligence there to make sure that some uh, investigation was occurred, that, that an investigation did occur. Uh, that's been an enormous change in just the last couple of years. The other enormous change is that now the Vermont Criminal Justice Council can suspend or revoke a police officer's certification and they'll no longer be able to be a police officer in the state of Vermont uh, through that investigatory process. Uh, and so that's that's a big change. We're also uh, ahead of the curve nationwide. We implemented model uh, pursuit policies. We've imp- implemented model use, uh, um, sorry, required use of force policies Uh, required body camera uh, policies, all of these things that are real police reform. And uh, we need more. Okay, thank you. Um, Ted, we're just about out of time. Anything else you wanted to add before? Well, we didn't talk about the most important outcome of town meeting day. Yes. uh, Which up in Peachum, you know, uh, two years ago, the school kids came together and wanted to name uh, their municipal plows. And so two years ago, uh, it was great. They put it on the ballot up there. And uh, last year they picked a few names for their plows. Maybe you followed this over the summer, the state followed suit. And now all of those big orange plows around the state are named courtesy of school children. Well, this year, Beecham bought a new plow. They needed a new name. And uh, you'll be happy to know that Kerplow K-E-R-P-L-O-W. I assume an homage to Lightning McQueen in Cars from Pixar. Uh, Kerplow won the day over uh, by two to one over Snowflake. So um, be sure if you're up in Peachum to keep an eye out for that beautiful new snowplow. Ted Brady, um, uh, Executive Director of Vermont League of Cities Town. So glad you could join us today. As you know, we have to toast. We have to end today's show with a toast. 
So I want to toast to the continuing tradition of uh, town meeting. May it continuously improve and become better at serving the community every year that passes. Anything you'd like to toast to, Ted? I'd like to toast to the people that make that happen. The municipal officials, the clerks, the select board members, the election officials, and most importantly, Vermonters who show up. I gave them grief for only 25% showing up, but that's a heck of a lot better than uh, than any number below it. So to, to Vermonters, to the election officials, and to town officials, thanks for all you do to make town meeting day such a special and really meaningful uh, day. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. As always, the Montpelier Happy Hour is on Friday uh, at 2 on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can find us at our Facebook page, the Montpelier Happy Hour, as well as our Captivate page, the Montpelier Happy Hour.captivate.fm, where you find your podcasts. And if you want to uh, learn more about Emily, uh, you just Google Emily Kornheiser and she will come right up. Because uh, there's, there's, you know, there's not many of her. There's only her. <laughs> so thank you, everyone. And uh, hopefully Emily will be able to join us next week. Ted, thank you. Thanks, Olga. Have a great day, everyone. You too.